Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now, you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone. A place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon coming to you worldwide on the all new Exxon Broadcast Network and Talkstar Radio Network. Our worldwide toll free number is 1 800 610 7035. That's 1 800 610 7035. Email address exxon at com. On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. At our websites, www.exoneradiotv.com and xzonetv.com. My guest this hour is a gentleman that we had on way too long ago. His name is uh, Joseph Farrell, and he was born in Sioux Falls, Dakota. He attended John Brown University, where he earned a BA in Biblical Studies and Philosophy in 1979. He completed his master's degree in theolo- uh, theological and historical studies at Oral Roberts University in 1983 and obtained his Ph.D. in Patriarchs from the University of Oxford in 1987. From 1988 to 2001, he was adjunct professor for Langston University as the University of uh, and the University of Oklahoma, teaching courses in medieval history, ancient philosophy, medieval philosophy, the philosophy of science, and interdisciplinary seminars, including such subjects as management theory, ethics, uh, physics, biology, and music. Now, long interested in the interdisciplinary uh, studies, and particularly the interface between physics and history, he is the author of several books, including The Death Star, uh, The Giza Death Star, 
the Giza Death Star deployed. Reich, Reich of the Black Sun. Excuse me. Uh, SS Brothers of the Bell. Secrets of the Unified Field. The Nazi... Uh, I'm sorry, I can't read that writing. International. International. <laughs> All right, thank you. Cosmic War, Giza, Death Star, Destroyed, we also talked about earlier, and the Philosopher's Stone. Joining me now is Joseph Farrell. And Joseph, welcome back to the X-Zone. How are you? Hey, pretty good, Rob. Thanks for having me back. It's a great pleasure having you back. And I'm sorry I've got a bit of a cold that's developed over the last couple of hours. So if I go blank on you, that's because I'm muting the mic to clear my throat. Well, I, I, I join you in having the cold. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, tell tell me, uh, since you and I last talked, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six new books, and, and you're still yep. going strong. You've got two more books coming out. Where, yep. do, you, where do you find the time? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. I'm doing this full-time right now. Mm-hmm. I've reached the point that my writing is barely self-supporting, so it's at the point now that I have to write. So I, I do see. that pretty much all the time. <laughs> Now, when we come back from the commercial break that we have to take very shortly, uh, Joseph, I'd like to talk to you about the Death Star and the Giza Death Star deployed, as well as uh, as well as the Reich of the Black Sun, because last time you were on, we received so much email about these two topics, and we've, you know, I, I think last time you were on, we were just on the Talk Star Radio Network, but right now we're on several networks, and I want the world to know about you, your books, and how they can find you, your books, and get them, because they are fascinating reading. Well, basically, uh, the easiest way I would imagine, particularly up in Canada, would be to to, uh, contact uh, Uh Amazon.com and then just Google my name on Amazon, and the books will come up. If they're down here in the States and, and they don't have to mess with customs or things like that, they right. can go directly to the publishers of most of those books. And that's Adventures Unlimited Press. And their toll-free number during normal business hours is 800-718-4514. That's, that's where most of my books are published. All right. Stand by, Joseph. You and I have to take our two-minute commercial break. Thank you very much for being with us uh, this evening. Joseph Farrell is our you. special guest, www.gizadeathstar.com. That's www.gizadeathstar.com. As I've been uh, saying all week, if you can give to the people in Haiti, please do so by going to the Red Cross websites in Canada and the United States. www.redcross.ca for our Canadian listeners. And for our, our good friends in the great U.S. of A, www.redcross.org. Don't feel bad if you can't give any money. I know times are hard, but please, if you can't help by sending a couple of bucks or whatever down to the Red Cross, please, your prayers will also be greatly appreciated. Joseph Farrell and I will return on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, live and around the world on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and the Talkstar Radio Network. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2.00. 
Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Combo meal. Single item at regular price. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. Joseph Farrell is my special guest, www.gizadeathstar.com. That's www.gizadeathstar.com. Joseph, you believe the Great Pyramid was some sort of weapon systems of mass destruction in very ancient times. How did you get started on this line of research? Well, actually, it began uh, in several different ways. Uh, There's kind of three strands that led into it. First of all, my father was an engineer. And when I was a boy, I I recall very vividly him having a talk over cards Mm -hmm. uh, with another engineer and mentioning, you know, that in his opinion, the Great Pyramid was too highly engineered to have been built just by Egyptians, that there was something else going on. So that kind of lodged in my mind. Then the other thing was, you know, I was on my way on a vacation with my folks across North Dakota back in the days that they were building the old anti-ballistic missile system. And when you traveled out there at that time, you could see off in the distance, close to Minot, one of these big uh, phased ray radar assemblies, and it looked like a pyramid with the top half of it cut off. And it, the thought kind of yeah. lodged in my mind, well, you know, I wonder if the Great Pyramid had been some sort of military uh, installation of some sort. But the final two things that, that really fed into it was, uh, first of all, the appearance of, of Chris Dunn's book, which is just... Uh, an eye-opening book in every way called the Giza Power Plant. Yes, that's right. And, uh, yeah, Mr. Dunn, you know, is, of course, an engineer, and and he examined the Great Pyramid with an engineer's eye rather than with uh, an Egyptologist's eye. Mm -hmm. And he came to the conclusion, very radical, but nonetheless very tightly argued, that the Great Pyramid was some sort of machine. And in his opinion, of course, he thinks it it was... a machine to produce power of some sort. Well, the final thing was, when I read uh, Zechariah Sitchin's book called The Wars of Gods and Men, in that book, he cites an ancient Sumerian epic called the Lugal A. And in reading it, I discovered that Sitchin made the argument that it really, throughout the entire work, is referring to the Great Pyramid. And he also mentions, kind of in passing, which really astonished me, that he thought that the pyramid had been used as some sort of a weapon. But he himself 
never followed up on that idea. And so all of that kind of jumbled together in my mind. I don't know how else to describe it. And set me off hmm. uh, examining that hypothesis. Could you make a case that it might have been some sort of weapon? So I started reading, uh, you know, I've always had an interest in physics, so I started pulling up a bunch of physics papers to see if if it might possibly be argued as a speculative case that this thing indeed functioned as a weapon at some point. And, and much to my surprise, I discovered that you could make a very tightly argued, uh, though certainly still speculative, case that it could have been used that way. But what kind of weapon system would the Great Pyramid have been? Well, it is very difficult to describe without getting into a lot of details, but the first thing that I want people to put out of their mind is that this is the kind of weapon that you point and aim and shoot. Okay. Uh, what it really is is a weapon that works, in my opinion, off of resonance effects of celestial bodies within the fabric of space-time itself. In other words, if you want to kind of give it a, a catch-all epithet, it's a kind of a scalar weapon or it's a kind of a torsion-based weapon because it uses the fabric of space-time itself to reap the destructive effects it wants to achieve. So it, in that sense, it is, in my opinion, a very, very sophisticated machine and I think when you examine some of the evidence that Dunn presents, which I summarize in my books, and then the kind of additional argumentation that I make in, in those books, I think the conclusion is, is fairly clear that that may have been what it was. I noticed that in the, uh, the Giza Death Star deployed, that you have a chapter on something many people who are familiar with Richard Hoagland has often talked about, tetrahedral physics. Now, could you explain oh, a little yeah. bit about that and, and how you think it actually relates to the pyramids? Well, Mr. Hoagland and I, since those books first appeared, have actually become uh, very close friends. We, we talk to each other a lot and, and bounce ideas off of each other. But essentially what, what he's getting at is that if you look at any rotating mass, particularly within the solar system, there appears to be at the latitude of, of 19.5 degrees, give or take you know, a degree or two, uh, there appears to be, at that latitude, north or south, on these rotating bodies, some upwelling of energy. Now, if you know a bit of mathematics and physics, what that seems to indicate is that there is a kind of a hypersphere, in other words, a, a multidimensional sphere that is occupying a higher dimensional space in the same space that the three-dimensional planet or rotating body is. As a result of that, you have these energy upwellings kind of uh, spilling down the spillway, so to speak, and manifesting themselves at precisely those points on these rotating bodies. And it's true of almost all rotating bodies in the solar system, including the sun, including the earth, and so on and so forth. So he believes this is a clue to the physics. Now, the way I tie it into the pyramid is if you take two tetrahedra, and rotate them inside uh, a common axis of rotation, mm -hmm. perpendicular to each other, what, what a physicist would call an ortho-rotation, what you'll end up with is a three-dimensional representation of, of what we would call the Star of David, in other words, the six-pointed star. 
Now, if you do the same thing at Giza, if you run an axis of rotation down through the Great Pyramid, and I show this overlay in the Giza Death Star destroyed, uh, pardon me, deployed, if you take the Giza complex and rotate it first through 120 and then through 240 degrees along the axis of rotation through the Great Pyramid, what you end up precisely again is a representation of this six-pointed star. In other words, a two-dimensional uh, analog of ortho-rotated tetrahedra. So that, to me, tells me if the, if the pyramid is first a machine, and secondly, a weapon, and thirdly, a machine or a weapon that is reliant upon distortions in the fabric of space-time, mm -hmm. which distortions are, ca are caused by rotation itself, then this implies to me that the entire compound of Giza was laid out to incorporate one and the same kind of physics, this uh, hyperdimensional tetrahedral physics that, that Mr. Hoagland has been talking about for so many years. So that kind of in the Cliff Notes, <laughs> in the Cliff Notes version is, is what I think the connection to be. All right, I have to ask you at this point, where did the sure. ancient magi uh, Egyptians, I nearly said ancient magicians, the ancient Egyptians get this technology? Well, in my opinion, Rob, I'm one of those people that, that genuinely and honestly believes that the oldest structures at Giza, namely the, the Great Pyramid and then the, the second large pyramid there, the Pyramid of Sephron, and some of the other structures, the uh, temples that are there and even the Sphinx itself, that these structures are too old to have been built by Egyptians. I think that they were actually uh, legacies or monuments, if you will, of a much more sophisticated society that predated Egypt, and they're probably the only remaining monuments of, of that society. Is there a connection? So realize, is there a connection between? Is, is there a connection between the Sphinx, the pyramid in Egypt, and the face on Mars? Then, well, another good question, and to speculate a bit, I kind of hint at this in in my book called The Cosmic War. Uh, because my thesis is, if you if you look a little bit further into some of these ancient legends and so on, mm -hmm. what you always bump up against is this idea that there was this enormously destructive war of the gods way, way, way eons ago. So I think, yes, you can say that since we find a similarity of scale, since we find a similarity of... Uh, architectural style, uh, since we find a similarity of the kind of mathematics and, mm -hmm. encoded in, in Mars, uh, on Mars and at Giza, that yes, we might be looking at the product of one and the same civilization. And that, of course, is it's really a whopper of a statement to make, I grant you. You believe that the pyramid was destroyed in some sort of ancient war. Could you describe yes. that war briefly for us? Yeah, I, I outline that whole scenario, like I say, in the Cosmic War, but briefly, I believe that the pyramid, if you read Zechariah Sitchin, and more particularly, read the actual Sumerian epic mm -hmm. that he cites, and I do cite that epic in its entirety in the Cosmic War, and incidentally, I also cite it in an accepted, approved academic translation. In other words, I do not use Sitchin's translation to make this case. But if you look at this epic, 
what it actually is describing is something that does appear to have been a pyramid of some sort, that does appear to have been used as a weapon, and that does appear to have had components removed. So the way I'm thinking, Rob, is that this war was fought in part precisely to destroy not only this weapon, but the people or gods or whoever was wielding it and make this thing uh, inoperative, make it, render it uh, non-operational. So, uh, yeah, the, the war was really kind of fought in a certain sense, like our modern uh, wars to prevent nuclear proliferation, uh, to, to deprive certain rogue nations of, oh. of a massively destructive technology. And that, incidentally, is clear. When you read these ancient Sumerian epics, that is precisely the motive that they give you for this massively destructive, uh, this massively destructive interplanetary war was to destroy a technology. Joseph, stand by. You and I have to take uh-huh. a commercial break with the news. Very interesting. Joseph P. Farrell is our special guest, Exonation. Nation. www.gizadeathstar.com. That's www.gizadeathstar.com. Joseph and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news as the X-Zone continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, right here on the all-new X-Zone Broadcast Network and the Talk Star Radio Network. I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words For ancient My name is Michael Telstar, Canada's leading mentalist from Toronto, Ontario. Hi, my name is Splinza, and you're listening to my dad, Ron McConnell, on the Exxon. This is Psychic Dorothy from St. Catharines, and you're listening to Rob McConnell. Hello, my name is Holly Reeves, an astrologer from astro for You, and you're listening to Canada's number one paranormal radio show, The X-Zone, with Rob McConnell. Welcome to The X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back. My name is Rob McConnell. And, you know, since uh, Joseph Farrell and I are both Irish, we decided to play some Irish music here. What the heck, eh? <laughs> Joseph, it's great having you back with us here in the X-Zone. And, um, well, it's great to be back. We were talking about uh, possibilities of, of pre-existing civilizations uh, throughout mm-hmm. history. And, and it certainly opens up a door to an entire new way of looking at the world, but 
it makes perfect sense. Yeah, in my opinion, it does, uh, Rob. It makes us. It makes a lot of sense of a lot of things. You know, the biggest problem for standard academic history. You know, and I've been that route. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm thoroughly familiar with with the games that go on there. The biggest problem for that history is how do we explain the sudden emergence of civilizations like Egypt and Sumer, which seem to just spring into existence Mm -hmm. fully formed, fully fledged with these very complex societies with an obvious knowledge of, of the basics of mathematics and astronomy, with construction skills, you know, the whole thing. Right. You know, the evolutionary model of, of the progress of civilizations just really breaks down when you come to those two in particular because there's no antecedent for them. They just are suddenly there. So, you know, it has always been kind of a tenant within uh, alternative studies, uh, research, and so on, that there had to have been something pre-existing, whatever you want to call it, Atlantis, Lemuria, Mu, whatever. Uh, In my opinion, you know, and I kind of make this case in the Cosmic War, in my opinion, what you're looking at with that civilization is something truly and genuinely and, and, and really interplanetary. Because when you look at some of the anomalies that are now being discovered in space, I mean, my word, just go to Mr. Hoagland's website. Sure. <laughs> you know, you have, a, you have a basket full of them, you know, and they're way out there, too, you know. And, and clearly, some of these, these so-called uh, planetary bodies or asteroids, clearly, clearly, some of these things are artificial structures. So we're looking at the residue, the, the remnants of a very old, very ancient, and, and very sophisticated civilization. If that's the case, then that civilization most likely would have made contact with whoever or whatever was here at the time. And it would also perfectly rationalize why we have civilizations like Sumer and Egypt mm-hmm. spring into existence. So, yeah, I agree with you. You know, it, because when you when you look at the so-called ancients, and what we're finding out about uh, Egypt now, about the battery, about the clock, about the uh, the computers, it doesn't make sense. Traditional history, we know, has lied to us from day one. We we know oh, I that. I quite agree. We know that because let's just take a look at uh, the the example I love using is good old Christopher Columbus. He didn't discover North America. <laughs> you know the Irish the Irish were over here five hundred years before that looking for a good pub. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, you have you have the you know you have the Celtic legends of of, uh, and Gaelic legends and the Vikings and the Vikings. You know the voyage of Saint Finian and Saint Columba. Exactly. And you know even Columbus in in this respect, and and it's now just coming out in the last few years that he was probably relying on some of these medieval portal lands that were closely held secrets Mm -hmm. of some of these esoteric fraternities back then in order to journey to the New World. And it's looking as if Columbus himself sold Ferdinand and Isabella a bill of goods, you know, I'm going to find you a, a quick route to the Spice Islands of the East, when in fact he was probably <laughs> looking for the New World to begin with on the basis of some of these ancient medieval maps. So, you know, again, we've we've been fed a... a a bit of a chimera, a bit of a, a, a charade in, in history, as far as I'm concerned. Let, let me put it to you in the way that many of the Exo Nation can understand. We've been lied to. 
That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, and, that's the bottom line. <laughs> and and what about Admiral Peary's map? Well, yeah, the the Peary race map is yeah. is really one of the most flabbergasting uh, things of them all. In fact, I discussed that map at the very beginning of the, of the Giza Death Star because what you have with that map, you know, it's a map of of uh, a medieval Turkish admiral. Okay, mm-hmm. but this map depicts the coast of Antarctica. That's right. Which wasn't even discovered at the time, you know. And not only that, it depicts the coastline of Antarctica accurately, and that coastline is buried under hundreds of feet of ice. So, you know, we have here a bit of a problem that any standard version of academic history is just really at a loss to explain, and it's there. It won't go away. And let's go to the Dogen tribe. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, the... Another... Go ahead. Another... I'm sorry, another... um, you got a bit of a lag, so we seem to be stepping over each other, but the Dogon tribe in Africa to me is fascinating, and, uh, you know, Robert Temple has written a book about them, but the bottom line is, is that you have uh, this so-called primitive tribe in Africa knowing astronomical facts that aren't discovered until comparatively recently in, in astronomy, and in addition to that, they appear to have in their tribal uh, symbology, their their hieroglyphs and so on, they appear to be depicting certain things about physics that have only become known since the advent of quantum mechanics in the 20th century. (laughs) So, you know, again, how does academic history explain this? Uh, In my opinion, it really can't. And then we have the accuracy of the Mayan calendar once again astronomy you know that we're just learning about today here we have these so-called ancients who have this all figured out and if if we're just realizing what they knew years and years and years ago what are we missing joseph where what is the big picture that we're missing well that is an excellent question and you know basically most of my books are an attempt somehow to if not to answer it, at least to flesh out the question sufficiently that an answer might eventually be given. But to to boil it all down in a nutshell, Rob, I think what we're looking at here is there appears to have been in ancient texts, in uh, hermetic texts that are passed down, uh, for example, by the alchemists during the Middle Ages and so on, In my opinion, we're looking at very carefully planned and very carefully uh, coded or encoded scientific metaphors. And the reason that we're only finding these metaphors now is that our science and mathematics and and, uh, engineering have progressed sufficiently in the last 150 years or so mm-hmm. so that we can look at these things and see them not so much as mythologies or metaphysical texts, but as texts containing a very advanced, very sophisticated physics and, and mathematics metaphor. And in fact, if, if you look at my book, The Giza Death Star Destroyed, what I do in that book I have an appendix in it that is a chapter that I wrote with as much formal mathematical explicitness as I dared. And I even tell the readers of the book, if this you know, makes your eyes glaze over, skip it. 
because you're not going to really be missing anything in terms of the book. But what I attempt to show is that you can take certain passages in some of these ancient texts and actually use the formal notations of, of combinatorial topology to notate the concept that the text is talking about. You know, now that's a whopper. You know, I grant you that just seems outlandish. It seems absurd, but I can assure you that when you sit down and read the text themselves, and then read uh, how I kind of quote unquote decode them, mm-hmm. uh, you'll see immediately what I'm talking about. These things, these things are encoding a very, very sophisticated, and incidentally, a very, very modern physics metaphor for the fabric of space-time. Do you think, as we start utilizing quantum physics more and more and more that the past and the present will come together to formulate the future? Yes, I do. I do. Uh, in fact, I think, you know, we have to go even a little bit further than that, and, and I'm going to crawl way out on a, uh, on a limb here. But I think what is going to happen, Rob, is that the standard models of, of ancient history, the academic models, are simply going to break down by the sheer weight of this process of decoding some of these ancient myths and monuments uh, in in scientific terms. I think this is an inevitability. Mm. Uh, it's going to happen. There's no stopping it now. And, you know, unfortunately, the last ones that are going to see it are the people in the universities. <laughs> Where do you see us with our research and our knowledge 20 years from now? Hypoth- you know, just taking a look into your crystal ball. Well, another excellent question. And quite frankly, I see, I see the attempt of the global corporate elite to create a new world order, which only a very few at the mm. top will be able to dominate that. I see that breaking down already. It's breaking down... Uh, in so many ways. Number one, because the uh, American empire and, and war machine is failing. Uh, the the government here, at least, I can say with some confidence, is losing the people. Mm-hmm. And when this happens, the same thing will happen that happened in the old Soviet Union. It will just collapse. I see too much factional infighting. Uh, I see the inability of this corporate elite to control the advance of science and and the proliferation of new technologies. I'm not saying that this is going to be a smooth transition at all. I think it's going to be uh, rather rough and bumpy in places. But inevitably, with this new technology, there's also going to come a collapse and rethinking of uh, fiscal and monetary policy. And the reason I say that is one of the books that I have coming out in a couple of months is a book called Babylon's Banksters. And in it, what I try to do is show the very deep and very ancient connection between uh, a physics of open systems and, so to speak, free energy, and a financial system based on debt-free state-created money, as opposed to a physics of closed systems uh, scarcity and, and resources, and a financial system based on, on uh, a private monopoly issuing a currency for a nation. And of course, you know, the big secret and the obvious secret is, is that when a bank issues a loan, 
-hmm. It never issues the interest. It only issues the principal. So you have built into that economic system a kind of economic version of the physics that you're following with a closed system of non-renewable scarce resources rather than a, a system and a physics based on open systems of energy that are more or less inexhaustible. So I think this is an inevitability. It is going to happen, and uh, these so-called elites can either change and go with the flow, or they're just going to be as obsolete as the dodo bird. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. I'm betting on the dodo bird theory, because I don't think they want yeah, to change I'm betting their mind. On it too. <laughs> because unfortunately, they're too greedy for their own good. They, they lust for power. And they're not concerned about yes. anyone else except themselves and their tight little clan that they've amassed around each other to secure each other. And it's and it's pathetic. It really is. Do you think that the oh, governments? Yeah, I, do you think that the governments of the world are suppressing the information that that you and I have been talking about? That they actually have in their possession proof of these of these ancient civilizations that go further back in time. Excuse me, short answer, yes. And the reason I say that is that there are too many, by now, there are too many indications that this technology and this physics does mm -hmm. exist um, and that it has been developed in, in covert and black projects for a very long time. You know, my other new book coming out is a book called Roswell and the Reich. And, you know, that one that one is going to be an interesting book because... Uh, I, I am not a believer in the ET theory of explaining the Roswell incident, nor am I a believer in the any version of the balloon theory mm -hmm. you know, that the American government has tried to float for the past 60 years. But um, what I conclude in, in, in all of the series of Nazi books is that this the real beginnings of the major pursuit of this physics began precisely in the Third Reich. And again, what are we dealing with there? Well, we're dealing with a, a nation-state, a technologically sophisticated and powerful one, that was pursuing not only this very different kind of physics, but that may also made, as part of its fiscal policy, it completely jettisoned the idea that a private monopoly central bank... Joseph, right we've got to take a commercial break. Please stand by. Joseph Farrell's my special guest. GizaDeathStar.com. We'll be back right after this break. Don't go away. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details.
Joseph P. Farrell is my special guest this hour, Exxon Nation. His website is www.gizadeathstar.com. That's www.gizadeathstar.com. And Joseph, you know, this hour has just flown right by, and I'd love to have you back on in the very near future because, uh, you know, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine books out now, two more coming up. We just can't let you go for all these years without bringing you on. So what I'd like to do is get one of our producers to contact you, bring you back on so we can talk more about your... I love the way you think. I love the way you do your research. And it's always great having you here with us. Uh, Before we went to the commercial break, we were talking about the work that was done by the Third Reich and how you are tying it into Roswell in, in your upcoming book. The last time you and I were talking, you maintained that the A-bomb was but the tip of the iceberg of Nazi secret weapons project. Right, right. Well, that that tip, the A-bomb story I cover in Rack of the Black Sun, and I intentionally meant that book to be kind of the precursor to a series on, on this Nazi secret weapons and, and pursuit of this alternative physics. So basically all the rest of those books that you mentioned at the beginning of the show are about that story of their pursuit of this advanced physics. But yes, that's quite correct. It's, it's merely the tip of, of the very big and, and uh, ultimately very nasty iceberg. If the Nazis did have all this, all this uh, power at their fingertips, mm-hmm. how come they lost the war? Well, the... the basic and simplest answer, it's much more complex than this answer, and I do get into various explanations in all those books, but the basic and bottom line is, is that by the time they had developed all of these technologies, the war for all intents and purposes was essentially lost. So what I believe happened was, is that Martin Bormann used this technology to broker deals and essentially get himself and other leading Nazis out of out of uh, the collapsing Reich. But Bormann being Bormann, I mean, when you're dealing with Bormann, you're dealing with Dick Cheney without the warmth and charm. Uh, this guy's a real operator, and he's quite a piece of work. What he did, essentially, was he set up a post-war extraterritorial Nazi state, and he kept all the good technology to himself and continued researching it. So, you know, that's, you know, I know that's a whopper of a statement to end the show with and and not back up. Talk about a cliffhanger. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Now, this guy knows how to get himself back on a radio show, Exxon Nation. (laughs) (laughs) Joseph, we've run out of time for tonight, but I look forward to the next time that you're with us here in the Exxon Nation. Thank you very much for sharing your time with us. And for for giving the world uh, a, a, a very refreshing way of looking at the mysteries that we have on this planet and coming up with some plausible theories that make a lot of sense. Joseph P. Farrell. Take care of yourself. Nice talking to you again. And uh, Joseph's website, ExoNation, is www.deathstar.com. That's www.deathstar.com. Coming up next with me on the other side of the news at six and a half minutes past is the one and only Jim Hickman. We're going to be talking about UFOs. That's coming up after the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the all-new Exxon Broadcast Network and Talkstar Radio. We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. 
This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.